Hey everybody, and welcome to The Downstairs. My name's Josh Finkelman, and this is my podcast, Running Up The Downstairs. You've joined us on a bit of an auspicious occasion, believe it or not, as this is our 10th episode. This little podcast is a decade old. I mean, not a decade in years, but like a decade in episodes. We're a decade of episodes old, which I think is a pretty good milestone. Not to mention, it's also our fifth straight weekly episode, which I don't think is a small feat either. However, because we're switching release dates and from now on we'll be coming out on Fridays and our last episode came out on a Monday, technically that's a little bit more than a week, but weekly sounds better and I'm going to stick with it because it's my podcast. In this episode, our 10th, I talked to my friend Trey Nguyen, who's an up-and-coming creative powerhouse, whose work you may already be familiar with. She's got this wicked project on a lot of social media called Hustler's Cookbook, where she teaches you how to kick ass with a rice cooker, and if you're familiar with Serge Ibaka's How Hungry Are You web series, she's the food stylist, which is pretty awesome. We had this really great conversation because I am a huge fan of hers, and I haven't seen her in a while, so it was really nice to catch up, but she and I got into why she does what she does and what she does, and I think you guys are all really going to dig it. And so, with no further ado, here's me talking about this, that, and the other thing with the indomitable Trey Nguyen. here for episode nine. Ten. I can't believe it's episode ten nine of running up the downstairs. Um, I'm here with Trey Nguyen and uh, she's a good friend of mine who does just amazing stuff. She's a an online personality. She's a behind the scenes uh, whiz. She is a food maven, let's call her. Um, I, 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 and someone who I, I genuinely love to embarrass with my uh, <laughs> utmost enjoyment of all she does so trey thank you so much for doing this uh for coming to the downstairs oh absolute pleasure thanks for having me and also thank you for i think you're the first person who's ever said my last name so correctly i've been practicing (laughs) i was like i'm gonna get this right Um, it was actually funny um speaking of your name um you're named after tracy mcgrady I am. Who I was just watching on the 2000 dunk competition last night because what is better than watching 20-year-old dunk competitions because there's no sports on? Um, So sick. (laughs) What I find really interesting is when I, um, you know how you can change the contact name and photo in your phone and stuff to like whatever the person wants? So I I hit that button for you this morning. I I realized I hadn't done it, right? So I was like, oh, well, and you um, don't capitalize your first name. But I guess you probably like auto-corrected your last name to capitalize. And I actually really appreciate that because I'm like such a lowercase person. Um, like everything's lowercase. I hate capital letters when I can avoid them. Um, it was, I just, out of my own personal curiosity, right off the top, was that purposeful? Did you purposely lowercase your name or is it just the way it was? It is just the way it was. Oh, <laughs> I just got lazy. It's, hey, no, no, it's totally, <laughs> I was just like, I, there's something about lowercase letters that I genuinely yeah. like. Um, just maybe stylist, stylish, stylistically. That's so, funny. Anyways. I like the opposite. I always write in all capitals or I write in cursive. Re- you write in cursive? Yeah. Did you learn cursive in school? 
I did. And recently they actually took it out of the school curriculum, which really pisses me off. So, right. It's, well, it, it's weird. It, it's, that's a sad thing to me because it just feels like an age has ended with like, oh, kids aren't learning cursive writing. But at the same time, I fucking hated cursive writing. Even, what? I hate, I hated it, but I also love my own handwriting, even though most people tell me it's illegible, but there's like, <laughs> but I like it. You know what I mean? Like it feels stylish in some illegible sort of way, but it's a mix of printing and cursive writing. You know what I mean? Like it's just. And it's just a faster way of writing down your thoughts. That's why I love cursive. It just has that, I don't know. It's like a. It's wholesome feel. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I all the loops and whirls and stuff like that. Like it's, I can't do it. The funniest thing is the only time I've ever tried a fake ID, I got, uh, I got denied the bar when I was 18 and a half or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I tried, a friend of mine had given me this fake ID. And so a couple friends had, um, we had tried to go out like one weekend and it worked at like a downtown club the night before because they didn't give a shit and didn't look. But then we went to like a bar around like our area, which was like not, known for not letting people like for being really strict and the guy looks at my id and he looks at me and he looks at the id and like it's not me right just not me completely not me um and he goes it was the old school license and so he goes to me he's like i'll give it back to you if you can do the signature and i i memorized everything else on the id except for the guy's fucking signature right and it was the guy i don't remember whose name it was but it started with a d i'll always remember it started with a capital d and I couldn't remember how to do it. And so I tried to play it off like I was too cool for cursive writing. And I was like, it's been years, man. Like, does anybody know how to make a cursive D? And the guy was like, if you want your ID back, you can get one of those police officers to come get. And I was like, see you later. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know? Uh, but you are how old are you what's your declare your i know it's like rude and stuff but for me it's relevant because um i your hustle is so impressive and you're relatively younger than i probably think yeah um i'm I'm 22 i'm 22 okay i was i was gonna say 20 25 was where i was going because i was like i think she's older than i think she is but 22 seems right um from what i know but you're like one of the things you guys got to know about Trey is that she does a ton of things. Like, I don't know how you have time in the day for it, uh, but she does a ton of things. We're going to get into a minute, but have you always been someone who like, were you busy, always wanted to be busy from jump or did you come to that later? I think I've always been someone who's always wanted to be busy because I think there's always something you can do or work on. I think that's just like the mentality I had at, I guess like a younger age. Um, I grew up in Vancouver And, um, I think honestly that personality of like always keeping busy or always moving just kind of stems from, um, when I was younger, my parents weren't really around much. Um, my dad, he moved to Vietnam, like after my parents got divorced and then my mom wasn't really present too much. So then when it came to me and my siblings, it's just like, yeah, you have all this time at home and we were always really artsy in general. And like with that coming, it's like, um, like you're artsy, you want to do things, but the thing is you don't have a lot of money to buy like the best supplies. So what can you do with what you already have? So it'd be like trips to the dollar store, just like always crafting and DIYing. And I think that's like really what set the president for me to like kind of carry that, keeping busier, try to learn something new. And it just like kind of grew with me until now, I'm 22. So still doing that. <laughs> you're the you're the oldest? I... I'm the youngest out of three youngest and are is your whole family the same way are they all like are your siblings also like you know super busy doing all sorts of things 
Always. Yeah. Those two are like my best friends. I'm a brother and a sister. Um, but yeah, those two, and they're so creative in their own way. Um, they don't work in the creative field right now, but you know, they always have, like, especially during this whole quarantine happening though, it's coming out now, you know, I'm, I'm always FaceTiming with them and they're starting to really like get back into it. I'm like, it's nice to see, you know, how this whole quarantine has really put everybody in a position to sit down and be like, yo, what, are, what can I do now at this time that I have? So it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I, I find and it's weird for me because like I like I guess I'm a writer or whatever you want to call it, but like I've been struggling to like actually write anything right now. I feel like it's I'm almost it's like there's too much there's too much like stuff going on. So I find it really difficult to sit down and like concentrate on writing. But like everything else that I've always wanted to like um, be more into like creatively, like I'm you know I'm trying to learn procreate on the iPad and like uh, teach myself Photoshop and all these sort of like graphic design stuff that I've always like you know really been into on the outer edges of the stuff that I do. Um, I have been like gung ho on you know like those are the things that I'm really really getting into and also a lot of the cooking stuff that I love, which um, I'm sure you can relate to uh, because that's how you kind of it, it, my understanding is that's kind of how you got started right like was the hustlers cookbook uh i'm sorry the rice cooker well the your first thing was making things in a rice cooker right yeah what was that called that was so it's called the hustlers cookbook it was the hustlers cookbook All yeah right. it's called hustlers cookbook and it's my passion project um so what happened was back in university i lived on residence and um so I would, I used to work at a restaurant and obviously with those hours, it's hard. I'd get off work at like 2 a.m. I'd get home. It's like 2.30 and then the cafeteria would also be, be closed and I didn't have dinner yet. So then I just always came across that issue of like, oh God, I got to ask my roommate to get me food from the cafe, even in the fridge, I have to reheat it. It's just like really difficult. So then um, one day I just decided like, yo, like I'm just going to pick up a rice cooker from Canadian Tire. It was on sale for like 20 bucks. And I just looked at it and I'm like, I could make a lot of shit in here. So literally that night when I got home from work at two 30, I just like put eggs in there and it cooked. And I was like, Oh wow. Made other things. And it's soon enough by the end of the semester, end of the whole year, I had like a plethora amount of recipes, like soup, chili cakes, a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and honestly, just, you know, sometimes it felt a little bit ghetto. I was like, God, I'm just like sitting up in my dorm at two 30 AM making shit out of my rice cooker. But doing that reminded me every single day it's like hey you're taking care of yourself and this is your own version of it and it just instilled a sense of confidence in me you know like yeah it's a little bit of a struggle but this ain't that bad i'm eating pretty good you know better than the cafeteria food if anything <laughs> that's like no I, the whole like and because you brought it back recently and so like watching those um the quality like just the your the growth from the early ones to the to the later ones is really impressive. Did you find the same with the cooking? Like, so you started low, but like, what's the most complicated thing that you figured out how to make in a rice cooker? So during this quarantine, I was like, okay, I have, so I'm Vietnamese and in my culture, we have pho, you know, and that, it, that dish takes about eight hours for you to cook it on a pot, like an, on a, on a stove top. Yeah. So I told myself, you know what? I have no excuse not to try to make pho this time so i'm gonna do it and i figured out in a rice cooker and it doesn't take you eight hours it's like a more obviously simpler terms for the rice cooker but it works though it's That's pretty a, yeah, that, that was an impressive that was an impressive video if y'all are on instagram get on uh trey's uh account the hustlers cookbook there she just made um bubble tea that was the one that was like the 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 pho, I, uh, that one i was like oh that's really cool like 
I don't have that in me. I've never been like someone who can make soups and stuff like that for some reason, although I'm, I'm hoping to change that. Uh, but the, the bubble tea one, I went, Oh my God, that is amazing. I didn't even know you could buy tapioca balls. Um, where, how'd you figure that one out? Um, so even just as a kid, like my siblings and I, we'd just be home alone. And my sister's like, yeah, let's just go to TNT, like the Asian supermarket. Like we grew up, we grew up on that stuff, you know? So we just hopped there and then we found tapioca pearls. We're like, yeah, we can make bubble tea at home. So blender, strawberries, and we just all have bubble tea and just, you know, you save a lot of money not having to buy it all the time. Um, but literally like the whole message behind it's like, you know, make the best out of what you're given. And it's like, I don't really ever consider myself like a cook or a chef, really. It's more like, I think I'm a problem solver, you know? <laughs> well, then, so the question is, is that when you started doing the Hustlers Cookbook, right? Like the YouTube channel, was that the first, was that your first stint at it? You just like jump into the deep end on that? Or was there something, was there a precursor to, to the Hustlers Cookbook? Um, sort of a precursor, yeah. So what happened was I was um, taking a class at Ryerson called Social Media. It was the worst class ever, but literally my prof was like, okay, you have to create like a brand identity online. And I was like, okay, um, I want to do something called the rice cooker series where I just make food out of rice cooker. Yeah. Super like terribly shot videos. I shot out like my iPhone or something, but like my iPhone five, um, <laughs> it was terrible. And then I uploaded onto YouTube for the class project. And then I didn't touch it for like two years. I uploaded two videos. Okay. And then two years later, I have a homie gets me up and he's like, yo, is this you? And he links me my YouTube video, the rice cooker series. Literally, I'm at like 100K views and like just 10,000. Like, it's just nuts. I have like so many subscribers and I'm like, what the hell? You hadn't even checked it? I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, for two years, I just left it alone because it was just a, such a shitty video, you know? I didn't really care too much about it. And then two years later, I realized that, um, wow, people like are commenting like, post more, post more in the last two years. And then that's what really hit me. And I was like, well, like, people are actually into this. Um, it sucks that, you know, it took that, like it took sure. other people's interest for me to start going on it. But then I told myself like, Hey, this is a chance to, um, create a brand identity, a good message behind it. Um, because I don't know, like, I, so I, I was in school for, uh, media at Ryerson sport media specifically. Um, whenever it came to like photos or videos, anything in terms of like, ex, you know, sharing any media product, any medium, um, I always want to have like, a good message behind it, you know, not just have it. I just it just needs to like I don't know like everything I post I guess I just there's always some little message behind it a little quirky thing if it means someone to someone else or even to myself but yeah just have a message behind anything that I really put out there so yeah, it's, book, yeah. it's really it's it's been really interesting watching like the different levels of the stuff that you that you've done both your own stuff and the like I guess quote unquote professional stuff and we're going to come back to it but you brought up an interesting point and it was something that I talked to uh, we were talking about before we started recording about um, a previous episode was with uh, our mutual acquaintance through separate places but LaShawn um, one of the questions I asked him and I'll ask you sort of a similar one is um, about legitimacy right quote unquote legitimacy and I always know that like when I was in school um, like when I was in school for journalism I had a lot of difficulty making the jump from like school projects and like work that I did for like the school paper to freelancing because I discovered I really didn't like freelancing because I don't like being like, look at me, look at me, look at all the stuff that I did. Um, but also part of it was that I didn't feel it was sort of that imposter syndrome and I didn't feel legitimate because it was just me and my name, which, you know, what did that mean? Um, 
and I, I, I sense that there's a similar thing in terms of like when you did the original YouTube videos um, and put them up and we're like, who cares? I'm just doing this thing for school. Where did you, when did you start to feel, or do you, have you started to feel legitimate in that, that regard yet? And when did you, when did you realize, oh, there's more weight behind me than I had thought of? Well, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Um, see, maybe it's not the whole legitimacy behind it, but the more confidence thing. It's like, if, are people actually going to watch this? Are people going to fuck with my work? You know, who knows? Um, but I guess like I just have so much belief in it and confidence that like, hey, I can really help someone. You know, I think that's the whole purpose behind Hustler's Cookbook. It's like to show people how easy it is to cook. I'm taking you back to the basics, okay? Just like a body of heat literally like that little thing is just a body of heat you throw things into it and you can make a dish and that is just to have like a sense of confidence and still confidence in people to remind them like hey you can cook you know because i don't know how you feel but you know whenever you make something yourself when you eat it you're like yo even though it tastes like it doesn't taste good you still feel good eating it because you know that you made that you know it's true yeah so i think um i'm the legitimacy wise i Honestly, I'll never, I feel like I'll never feel legit because like, I don't, I just like to cook, you know, I'm not a chef, like I'm not a professional curator of recipes, nutrition wise, like I always obviously try to do my research, ask my friends, ask Sophia, for example, because she's a nutritionist, our homie Sophia Apple, yeah, I asked her for help, Um, but I feel like I'll really never, I don't know, I, 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 I I just have a passion for food and for media and for sports and any way that I can tie all those three things in, I will do it, you know? Um, so I think that's where my confidence lays rather than in legitimacy or. No, totally. I mean, you, and you've done that. Like self-experience. I think that's what it is. Like, because when I was a kid, I just, I've always been cooking. Um, my, when I was 13, I got my first job and I was working at the food court, like a Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese joint. So that's where I learned how to cook, um, all these Vietnamese dishes, and just how to properly cut a spring roll, how to roll things properly, um, the foundations, fundamentals of cooking, really. So I think rather than being like legitimate in a way, it's more so here, here guys, here are my experiences and here are my tips that come from my life, technically. Yeah. I mean, you learned it and you know it, right? So <laughs> it's And it's interesting because you, you're saying like those three, like the, I guess the triangle of passions that you have. Um, did you, so you, you discover you have all these followers, right? And you have the the hustlers, like the, these videos are up there. And then you started making new videos, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right, yeah. How long between starting to make new videos and, you know, um, like some of the other things, like how long did it take? Like how many, how long were you doing those videos before say like, let's say, you know, Serge Ibaka came, came looking or, or the Bleacher Report came looking. Spoiler alerts. <laughs> um... Let's see. So I think I discovered, so it was 2018, January, when I figured out that the YouTube channel, that people were really like commenting like, hey, post more. And then in February, that's when I launched a whole rebrand and called it the Hustlers Cookbook and then carried in like identity. Um, the theme is like a very 50s theme. It's a whole satire technically. Um, and then let's see. And then... I did maybe like three videos or so, three recipes. Mm-hmm. And then the whole Serge Ibaka thing, that kind of followed through. Um, so I guess a little backstory for people who are listening. <laughs> but um, Serge Ibaka, 
who plays for the Toronto Raptors, he has a cooking show called How Hungry Are You? And on that show, I'm the food stylist. So I help Serge curate these recipes um, depending on who's going to be on the show, who's our guest. Um, I always try to make the recipe relative to the guest. Like, for example, Calari, if you're from Philly, I'm going to make you a Philly cheesesteak, but we're going to put a twist to it. You know, it's Serge likes to, so the dishes that we serve on Serge's show, um, they're very out of the ordinary. They're more like, technically they're like delicacies in different countries, but they're really odd to the North American cuisine, I guess. So like bull testicles, bull penis, frogs, (laughs) you know, just kind of out (laughs) of, out of the wild there. But if anything, things that I have honestly ate before, because growing up in an Asian household, it's like, yo, this is food, eat it. (laughs) And my parents always brought me back to Vietnam as a kid, which I'm very thankful for because, yeah, honestly, I feel like food-wise, nothing really phases me unless it's like insects or it's alive. Like I don't eat, I don't eat insects. I just yeah. can't. <laughs> There's, I, I, I couldn't agree more about the insects and alive. The insects, I feel like if I was on a reality show, maybe, but yeah. still moving is like a deal breaker because like I like eating weird things. I'm, I'm down with it. You know, like I'll try it once, but like still moving. No, kill that shit. I know for me. Yeah, no, I can't. Like, <laughs> um, but what, so, and so they came, they came looking like you were on that from, from jump or did you come in in the middle? So, um, I know. So my life's kind of all over the place here, but so Houser's Cookbook is my passion project. Yeah. And then I work for a creative agency here in Toronto called tier zero. And, um, it's made up of these three freelancers. Um, are also my mentors and like my brothers uh, but their names are like jamal charlie and do um right. and charlie he he shoots for serge Baca. he's serge's photographer when it comes to all the games he captures everything um so serge's team technically talked to charlie saying like hey serge is interested in starting a cooking channel um any ideas like we want to go to tier zero for this to produce write, and to film it and to edit and charlie was like oh wow um i mean yeah you know, most definitely we'd be down, but you should most definitely, we're going to, you should most definitely meet our homegirl, Trey. Um, she loves cooking and she'd be a good asset to the team. So pretty much, um, it was like a tier zero thing. We all went into it. Um, and yeah, my, my position was to be a food stylist <laughs> and Serge, we showed up a couple like, like little shots of Hustle's cookbook. And he was like, yeah, this is cool. You know, the lighting, everything. Um, yeah. And so how, how, like, so you were there from the, from, from the beginning, like, are you next to Serge cooking these things? I always wondered about that. Like, like, cause it, most of it's like a, it's almost like an interview show or whatever, but the, the cooking aspect of it, like how, how much do you and him work together? Hmm. How much do him and I work together? <laughs> so when it comes to the whole cooking aspect of it and like, you know, as we're shooting, um, I really work with him on the cooking. It's like, Hey, this is the steps. So, so technically I'd be standing on the side. I mean, I'd prep everything for him first. Like obviously get all the groceries, everything you need grocery list. Um, and then as the camera's rolling, I'd be like, okay, now you're gonna, you know, saute your onions, kind of be a little chime in, um, pretty much guide him through it. But sometimes I'd have to, you know, obviously get in there and be like, Hey, so this is how you're going to cut it, you know, just so it looks pleasing to the camera. Right. Yeah. And do you find like, because I mean, you're not that youth has anything to do with it really, but like, do you find that you are like, what do you feel like on those sets? Like, is that, I imagine there's like tons of people and I mean, we're obviously, um, you know, on a zoom call. So yeah, I mean, 
not you're not the the largest person in the in the in in any room, right? Um, <laughs> find, like, do you find you have to work harder at that to be like seen in those places, or like, um, or is it just you're there, like a force of nature to some degree? These are actually such cool questions. No one's really ever asked me this before. Oh, Josh. Okay. So <laughs> no, no, take your time. Take your time. I'm like, yeah. lots of time to think about this. I'm fat. You, you have fascinated me since, since we met because you're very unassuming. You're very, um, very modest about it. You're all the things that I love about talented people in a talented person. You know what I mean? Like there's, I always feel like there are two types of talented people. There's the one who's like constantly beating you over the head with all the stuff they're doing, which is fine and great and like a different kind of hustle. But the people that I always like feel the strongest about are the ones who are just like doing their shit, you know, like head down fucking grinding and you know, that kind of thing, which is why I've always been. And, and for you to like sort of see all the success, I mean, food sports and whatever our passions of mine as well so it's I, I there's a part of you I look at you and I think I wish I was your age when you were doing this stuff so that I could have like benefited from the hustlers cookbook like shit man I lived at home like I you know my mom didn't use spices like we weren't I had to like branch out and find all this stuff so like I kind of I look at you and I think oh man I wish that you had been around when I like when I was youthful in that sort of sense so like your inspirational you're the inspiration that I get from you. Cause I'm like, Oh, look at this girl's hustle could have applied to me when I was a little bit younger, but that's why I find you so fascinating because you're, you have a lot of the skills that I just was never very good at the, the hustle specifically. Right. So, um, but that's why I find it interesting. Like all these little details about like, like, what is it like on a set for you? Like, are you, um, like, does that play into it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess it plays back to the confidence and legitimacy thing we were talking about earlier, but like, do you ever catch yourself in those moments being like, holy shit, like what the, f how did I get, like, how did I get here? Or are you still too, too in the hustle to really be able to step out of it and look at it that way? Mm. Okay. So at first, so we've been with Surge for three seasons. Um, season one was obviously like trial season. Like, well, let's see how this goes. First guest is Mech Biombo. Um, so that was really cool. Um, when we first started, so for season one, we shot everything inside Serge's kitchen at, at his place. Um, and that was just a really small team. There was only five of us. So just the tier zero guys. Um, and then our, one of our homies um, who did audio. So really small team. Um, so that felt comfortable in a way, but then obviously my first time meeting Serge like that and meeting Bismack, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, so season one was good. And then it kind of got to the point where we also had to fly to LA to shoot with um, DeMar DeRozan and Lukaku. Mm -hmm. So um, again, really small team. There's only like maybe like four or five of us on set, but really the kitchen. <laughs> Uh, so that was really small. Um, and then when we got to season two, tier zero, we're like, okay, you know what? Let's really get the branding going on here. Let's get graphics. Let's get a logo. Um, let's make it more like a curated show, technically. And then our team grew a little bit more. We started bringing in like more lighting people. Um, so I feel like as we've grown, I've grown with the team as well. Like we've just always adjusted. We've always pivoted. Um, and then for season three, it's Bleach Report. And that's when we um, were flying to New York on really short notice um, to go shoot um, in New York um, on this like amazing set. 
this whole kitchen. It was like my dream set. I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. Um, and then obviously a bigger team, more higher up head people. Um, but the thing is, I think I've never really stepped on a set before, especially for this one, specifically for How Hungry Are You, where um, I felt like I had to be a bigger person, you know, where I had to like kind of stand my ground, if anything, because everyone showed me this respect, which I really appreciated. I think they really appreciate my work and what I do for the show enough for where I didn't really need to always be like, hey guys, like always have to chime in or um, have a need to be heard. Because in fact, I was heard already. Like everyone was just so nice on set. So I've had this really great privilege. I've always had working with a really amazing team. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Um, Especially like the guys I work with. There's just so much respect there um, as a female, especially in like any industry, but specifically sports media, sport media, like it's pretty male dominant, you know, <laughs> but every, every team that I work with or every guy, they just always give me the sense of like, Hey, like, yeah, you're one of us, you know, we're going to make you carry that heavy ass C-stand because you can, you know, like they just always treated me as an equal, which I love because tough skin, you know, like absolutely definitely create that in me. Um, it was really cool though. Though so I and in Serge, like this appreciation, this relationship that I have with him, I really appreciate as well. He calls me the girl. Like when I stepped on when I when we were in New York and I stepped on a set, he's like, My girl, the girl. <laughs> and he just gets really hyped to work with me. And that's what makes me just love my job even more. So that's amazing. No, that's really it's it's very cool getting to watch you like sort of um, like see you enjoy yourself through that. Like just obviously from a distance. Um, we're gonna take a quick break because someone's knocking on my door. We're gonna push the break up real quick, um, and uh, we'll be back after this word from our sponsor. Just one sec. This is the Running Up the Downstairs podcast, and it's been brought to you by Josh Finkelman's Instagram and Twitter accounts. You can find those at. Hey, Josh Radio. And we're back after a impromptu interruption, but it's all good. Shout outs to, um, you know, all the people who live in this building. Um, Sean, if you're listening, what's up? Thank you for the delivery. All right. So um, before we took the break, we were talking about um, Tier Zero and the stuff you're doing with Surge, which is super cool. Just, I mean, of all times to be connected to the Raptors, you know what I mean? Like to be connected at the, when we're winning the championship, like could not have better timing to be perfectly honest. And I think part of the jealousy, we'll call it jealousy that I have is just like, wow, wait, like you just get to be in the middle of this sort of historic moment. Uh, which is really amazing. Um, so I think that's sort of where I get my like my like gush from. I'm just like, oh man, you're just in the center of all of it. Uh, but one of the reasons you're there is is tier zero. And so you were saying about the three guys um, that you work with. There were they friends before, or were they um, were they people like? Did you go to school with them? Like, how did you hook up with them? Mm-hmm. So the three of them, they're friends. Um, and one of them, his name is Do. Do is originally from Vancouver. Um, Back in like 2013, 2012, he was my sister's roommate. So I would have been like, what, 13 years old? And um, so do he's a videographer. And I've always admired his work. Just always admired his work. Um, and then I always followed it. And then when it came to 2015, that's when I was graduating from high school. And do was actually moving to Toronto um, to like just carry on with media, sport media specifically. And then 
um, when I found that out, I was in Toronto and that he was also out here as well. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I really admire his work. And like one day I just, I think I should ask him if I can intern for him, just learn from him. Um, but I felt like I was never really at that level yet. Like in first year university, especially I was, I actually moved here um, to do sports broadcasting. I wanted to be in front of the camera, but then I quickly realized, wow, I suck at this. <laughs> I suck at talking in front of a camera, especially live. Um, so that's why I made the switch to behind the scenes, um, writing more, the whole content creation part, writing part. Um, and then I got to second year and I was like, oh, should I ask do still? Like, I'm like, no, I'm not ready. You know, like my photos, like I love to do photography and video, but it's just more of a hobby, you know? So I just kind of checked the idea away. And then third year came and they said, okay, now you have to do an internship. And I'm like, okay, I think this is my time. <laughs> Sorry about the uh, the sirens going on. Apparently, the world is ending somewhere. Uh, <laughs> sorry, get, you were saying. Yeah, and so then um, third year came at Ryerson, and they were like, "I did an internship," so that's when I reached out to do. And um, he said, "Yeah, bet. You know, would love to have you. Like, I just want to see like where your head's at work wise. Um, maybe just send me an application." So I sent him an application, and he ended up loving it, and he showed it to his friends do uh he showed it to his friends jamal and charlie and then he said to me hey trace um you know this is great we uh you're gonna be interning for something called tier zero and it's me and my homies and i'm like okay cool you know like i was like that's sick and thing is like i did not know who jamal and charlie were but apparently they're just like i mean in my head i just found out over time that like oh wow you're really well respected um photographers in toronto um, they do a lot of things for the NBA, um, for Giants of Africa, um, Masai Jury's foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I learned over quickly over time. And then, yeah, these guys are like my mentors and they're like my older brothers. And I think, you know, when it came to how hungry are you, just the amount of trust that they had in me, they gave me like a position. They're like, hey, Trey, you're the food stylist. This is what you're taking care of. Like, how do you feel about it? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to take it on. You know, so they had so much trust in me. Like everyone had their position and that's, I think what made everything so well organized and really seamless. That's awesome. I have this, yeah. it's, it's weird. I always wonder how, um, it, it's something I kind of ask everyone because I, I've, I've always wondered how much, um, success is based on from other people. And that sounds weird. I don't mean that someone succeeds because of someone else, but <laughs> that sometimes it's the opportunities that you're pro- like that you you're you sort of get um and that you take advantage of that you find that next level right and so i guess like i always find it interesting when someone uses the word mentors or when someone has a mentor um because i i guess maybe i don't ever i don't feel like i ever really had a specific person that i considered a mentor i had a lot of people that i guess i you know learned things from and looked up to and that kind of stuff but like never one specific person and so i'm always uh, i always think it's such an uh advantage i guess that uh, to be able to take um, advantage of someone wanting to be in that mentorship position with you, right? Um, do you think that you would have, um, do you think that you would have been able to grow at the same pace um, had you not had access to them? And but what I mean by that is, I mean, clearly, obviously, you know, they've provided you with, with some opportunities. But I guess what I mean is, do you think that your growth is, how do I phrase this exactly? Do you think that you would have had the same hustle 
had you not sort of gotten that opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Like, was it going to be that opportunity or you would have found another one? Or do you look at that and say, wow, if I hadn't gotten this, my life would be 180 degrees different. So I started interning for them um, 2018, Mm -hmm. 2018. And when I started interning for them, it was maybe like two months in and I was in school during this time. Mm -hmm. So I was interning for them. I was in school. I was working at Apple and I was also working at this restaurant um, owned by MLSE called 11. So right. I was working there and I the internship that. obviously like, you know, I understand it's like unpaid work. I don't mind, but just those two months of getting to know them and being on these projects that they're putting me on. And as I was learning, it was enough for me to be like, I'm going to drop out of school and give you guys my complete 40 hours. <laughs> So, you know, that was a gun that I jumped and I was like, damn, I moved here at 17 for Ryerson, you know, it was like my dream program to get into. And then now I'm dropping out of it, you know? So I think it was a really big pivot change for me, but it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, because maybe I can talk about my experience while in school versus this internship that I did with them. Yeah, yeah um, I was going to say what I wanted, like that moment must have been like the weight of that moment for sure to be like, tell me about that. Tell me about like, about school. And then you're like, do I leave? Because I know I felt that too when I was at school. Not that I had that opportunity. Sometimes I was just like, what am I doing here? Right. So mm-hmm. how, what, what was school like prior to the opportunity? So school. Okay. So I'll be honest with you, but I was in a classroom just full of like, fourth generation Canadians, you know, and I was, I'm first generation and I come from like, just like my family, really culture. So my Asian culture, sorry, I'm rambling off. Okay. One second. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, you know, when I first walked into the classroom, just, there's not many people of color, honestly, there wasn't many girls to begin with, if anything. So I was like, maybe there's another Asian girl and that was it. Um, and I just honestly felt like my classmates sometimes, they just viewed me as someone who didn't know what she was talking about because I was Asian and because I was a girl. I did like my first group project alone and some guys would just, even when I try to like talk to them about anything, like just like, Oh, Hey, like this assignment, they would just kind of ignore me or they just didn't really acknowledge me. Honestly, like my first year was kind of tough in a way. It's like, a trying to make new friends adjust to the city it's a lot busier than vancouver um, but i love the hustle i love how busy it is it's so amazing to have a sports team like i can you know because vancouver don't really have that same type of energy um but when it came to school it's like the one thing that i was really looking forward to i was like this is kind of like a letdown in some sort of way like i enjoyed what i was learning but even my professors as well like they just my professors weren't really professors in that sense where they they know how to teach. They're industry professionals who worked at Sportsnet, TSN, which is phenomenal to have them, you know, teach us, but they didn't know how to teach. They're, they're, they would just kind of tell you, you know, and they would always speak from their experience, which I appreciated. But in terms of like the whole approach of like being empathetic or understanding or understanding that like, hey, we're a different generation than you. No offense, but you guys are all old. Okay. And like things are changing now. Social media is popping up. Like there's a lot more creatives working, like more freelancers rather than contra, you know, than, you know, being like a, you know, working in that whole corporate world. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, even like my professors, sometimes like we would have to pitch shows 
Um, and I would stand up in front of the class and I would pitch a show and my teacher would just always tell me like, yo, you got to stop being so creative. Like just stick to the basics of like your stats, highlights, or like a feature film on like an athlete who, you know, you know, that typical story where an athlete gets injured and this is their coming up story, that kind of thing. But every time I pitched like a feature, it was always different. I was like, Hey, how about we do like a kid's arts and craft show, but sport related. And everyone looked at me oddly. um, And my professor would be like, no, stop it. Let's not do that. But some of my classmates were like, yo, that sounds pretty cool. Let's try it. You know? So I don't know. It's just like, Honestly, like a lot of boys were kind of mean during school. <laughs> they were kind of mean to me. My professors weren't that supportive. Um, and then once I started interning for these three guys, you know, Jamal, Ju, and Charlie, who were also people of color, Ju being first generation, just understanding where I'm coming from and how successful these guys are. And they're also freelancers as well. And they believed in me so much. And, um, you know, that's what made me realize, like, this is the type of environment I want to be in. Um, and that's when, like, I realized like those three years at Ryerson, I'm thankful for already what I've learned. I think it's enough, but now it's time for me to be like, okay, I need to make a pivot because whenever I stepped into that classroom, honestly, I did not feel welcomed. I did not feel acknowledged. People only wanted to start working with me on projects because they're like, oh yeah, like Trey has good ideas or she's a good shooter. Like they just didn't really want to be in my group because of me as a person. They just thought like my work was good you know it's just no one really took the time to even be like hey how's your day like, there's just all strictly business and I'm like I fucking hate this you know it does not feel like you know it doesn't have to be all, feel all cozy like family like wise because it's school but at the same time it's like yo, it's a terrible support system you know did not appreciate it yeah so when I got that taste of what it was like to be an intern um I remember I introduced myself to one of like it was Jamal's birthday he had a birthday party and someone asked me like oh who are you and I'm like oh I'm, I'm their intern and Jamal comes in and he's like no she's not our intern she's our friend ah nice you know so that that's what really that stuck out to me as well um yeah it's, just- it's interesting because like to tie it back to what you're saying um about like being surrounded by good people right like it's I, I think one of the themes of these conversations I keep having with people is whether you get a hand in picking those people like for your team or whether it's the the team you end up working on like it's you really have to like there's there's a bit of a luck component to it to being in the same area as as these people or like or reaching out to the person who is willing to say yes or that kind of stuff like it's it's so interesting to see the divergence of people's journeys just based on what opportunity they take um they take at what point and it's so interesting like did you so it doesn't sound like you struggled to to make that decision like it sounds like it was a pretty not easy decision but like it was obviously the right decision like on the one hand they're trying to put you into this box that why would anyone want to be in regardless of their background but just in your specific case um and of environment where it was like hey we want you to do these things that you do so great like did you struggle over that decision or was it does was it as relatively straightforward as it seemed or seems it was hard because it's like yo i moved all the way across the country for this you know and it's like finish what you started and um you know, ever since I was really young, like, you know, because my parents weren't around much and like I was 13 years old and I told myself I'm going to start working now so I can pay for university. So it's just like a whole big, like a whole decade of like, okay, you're going to save money. You're going to do this X, Y, and Z. And then now like my plans were kind of like, 
I think it's just more like a pride thing. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll finish this program because, yeah, I can handle one more year of being in school with these fuckers, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I just didn't like give shit anymore. But then I was like, yo, you know what? My time, my money, it's like if I just could save that money, invest it into tier zero, like, you know, because, you know, my first year of interning for them um, was unpaid. But I, I didn't mind at all, though. Like, I, I really did not mind. Like, it was just so enjoyable. Um, it was like working with my friends. That's why I felt like, um, so it didn't even feel like work at some points, but I'm so happy that I did it. At first I was very scared because I was like, what am I going to say to my mom? But I was like, yo, you know what? My money. <laughs> I guess, money. Well, it, it, different story. If my parents were paying for my education, I'd be like, oh, hundred percent. I'll finish, you know? Really? But, even though, even though it's like, I mean, I think in retrospect, it's clearly the right decision to have made. Yeah. Like even in retrospect, you think if your parents had been paying for it, like if it had been on someone else's dime, you would have, you would have struggled through it. If my parents were paying for it. Yeah. Like if it wasn't, if it wasn't your, your dime for school. Yeah. I'd finish it. So (laughs) I finish it. If my parents were paying for it, I think it's just that thing where, um, like as being first generation, it's like your parents immigrated here. Very, very rough, you know, it was like a really big journey for them to come to Canada. Um, so that one thing that they'd want is like, yo, that piece of paper. And I know like maybe to me, it won't be as beneficial or it's not needed, you know, in my field, but it'll just mean so much to them that, you know, they'd be able to say, Hey, I put my kid through school, you know, so I would finish it if they were paying for it. But because it was coming out of my own pocket, it was like my own, my own stress, like all those things. Um, I said, you know, what? maybe I can make them proud in a different sense, you know, um, but yeah, I think that was the toughest part, though. It's like dropping out of school. That oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That is like a whole structure thing. You know, school was like, this is your timetable. These are your courses. But now it's like, okay, as a freelancer, it's up to you now to make your own schedule. And I think this is what really tested my self-discipline. Um, it's like, you, you're going to wake up at this time and you're going to get this done. You know, if the boys aren't assigning you anything, okay, what can you use this time to be better for your own sense? Because as much as I love being a part of tier zero, I also want to have my own identity as a freelancer, which is just Trey. Right. Um, so it's like, now do you have your own website? Like, are you going to practice lighting? What are you going to utilize this time with? And, um, I just, I found that within Hustler's cookbook. Hustler's Cookbook really pushes me um, to really get outside of my comfort zone, especially. And it just tackles like all my weaknesses, like graphic design. I'm not the best, but I will sit down just to try to make this recipe page look nice. Try to get this logo down, get these graphics done for the video. Um, So that's why I love Hustler's Cookbook so much because it's just pushed me in so many ways where um, I'm just so self-sufficient where I don't need to hire a graphic designer or ask a homie to help me shoot an episode because I can do that all by myself. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Yeah. So it's, even in the short time that I've been watching your stuff, like the quality level has gone like just jumps each time. Um, and your I find your like your voice as an artist is really like it's so unique that it's always in, like anything you do is just because of that. It's really interesting. And so let's t- I want to talk to you about two different projects that you that you I I, I assume are your own freelance stuff, but um, there's the um, the Barbies the the Barbie um, which I'm blanking on the name because apparently there's a fire down the street. That's what those uh, that's what <laughs> that's what those sirens are for. This this whole interview has just been 
um, you know, <laughs> keep getting interrupted, which is great because uh, it's just life. But um, so I've forgotten the name of the the basketball Barbie thing off the top of my head. What was that called? I just called it the Barbie box, <laughs> like the life side Barbie box. Yeah. Okay. That pro- tell me about that project because I mean, for those of you who um, are not familiar with Trey's work, really, really highly recommend you check out her Instagram page. Let's let's throw that plug in here because because we're doing it. What's what's your at? And dot Trey, if I'm not mistaken. Go check out her work because it's super interesting and it's really, really well done. Um, so tell me about the Barbie basketball stuff because because um, I'd love that. It was really interesting. Thank you. Um, so growing up, I've always been a big fan of sports, um, more so basketball itself. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch TV as a kid, funny enough. Um, so we watched the NBA sometimes, but obviously Vancouver didn't have a team, right? So we'd wo- my dad would always drive us down to Portland to catch a game. Um, so that was pretty sick. So you grew up like just really involved in sneakers because of my dad, mm-hmm. um, which I find very neat because, you know, literally this guy <laughs> like immigrates to Canada, you know, one t-shirt, one pair of shorts. And then he grows up loving the whole culture of sneakers, Jordans and sports. Um, and then when, you know, he had kids, um, my sister, she plays basketball. My brother is funny enough, but he's not too much into sports. And then came me. And um, that's actually where, you know, my name, my name came from. So Trace McGrady, they read the ultrasound wrong and they thought I was going to be a boy. So the, the name that they had for me was Travis. Um, but then when I came out a girl, my dad was like, oh, let's name her Tracy, like Trace McGrady. And my mom was like, what? You're not naming my baby girl after things like that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so when we were younger, my dad gave us this NBA Barbie doll. Um, it was a uh, 1998 Vancouver Grizzlies Barbie doll. And during that time, that's when Barbie released it because they wanted to show young girls that, hey, you can be anything you want to be. And it's a collaboration with the NBA, um, so which was really neat. Anyways, um, so I was born in 97, though. So I was like, you know, just one years old. But then we just always had that Barbie doll in the family. Um, and then in 2009, my dad left our family, unfortunately, and, um, out of resentment, like my sister and I just kind of tossed that Barbie doll away. We're just like, we just tucked in the attic. We're like, yo, you know, not the biggest fan of dad right now. And like, when it came to sports, it's like, he was always there watching our games, kind of lost a love for it. Um, because that was like our relation to our dad, right? Like he was the one who built the basketball hoop in the backyard, um, He's the one who always pushed us in that sense. But it was really cool because he's a man of not many words, but his actions always spoke louder. Um, he's the one who would put sneakers on our feet so we could play properly. Always made sure our basketball was fully pumped. He was just, you know, it was just the actions. But obviously when you're a kid, you don't really pick up on that until you grow up and you're like, oh, wow, you know, this guy literally gave me the world. <laughs> you know, you literally gave me the world. Um, but then yeah, 2015 came, I was moving to Toronto, you know, Ryerson Sport Media, and I took that Barbie doll with me because I was like, you know what, like, this this means a lot. And this Barbie doll is so sick. So I'm gonna take it to Toronto with me. And every day I look at it. And I'm like, Oh, wow, you know, this is a way of understanding that there is a place for women in sports. And my dad really instilled that into me as a kid. Um, you know, we always, I was grew up with like six guy cousins as well. So it's like taking elbow to the face, driving to the hoop, anything like that. Um, if you get knocked down, you get back up, right? If you miss a free throw shot, that's a set of lines. <laughs> so just like that whole mentality was just always in me. 
Um, and then with this Barbie doll, I told myself, you know what, like one day I really want to recreate this box. Um, what? Yeah, this is Zoom, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're gonna this video. This, this video is gonna. I feel like the videos are gonna come out after. Okay. Well, I mean, like maybe right. you can just you can just give each other reference here. Absolutely. Oh, that's. I told myself like, yo, I want to make a life size Barbie ball box and then box and then get all my homegirls that I know who are either women working in sports or who are active or about that lifestyle of um, taking care of yourself. Um, get them to stand inside. And give them that opportunity of like understanding that, hey, like you stand inside this box because you are a good representation of what any little girl can be. Like every little girl should look up to you because you have amazing qualities. And, you know, I'll see the homegirls at Apple. Everyone is just, yeah, I got some girls from work to stand inside of it. Um, and what really surprised me about that shoot was I went in with the idea of like, hey, you know what? You stand inside this box because you're a great role model, right? But then what I didn't realize was like, what every girl took away from that experience, like for themselves. Um, so everyone like came with clothes, but I also brought other clothes as well that they could like kind of dress up in like varsity jackets and windbreakers and just like kind of that old school vibe, right? Um, out of my own closet and some other girls brought things out of their own closet. But then it came to a point where I had literally like 30 girls inside the studio who didn't know each other, but they were all dressing each other up. And they're all, all hyping each other up and be like, yeah, girl. Like as I was taking the photos, everyone's like cheering each other on. And it created this environment where it made me realize like, it, it, it's hard to explain, but it was really powerful in a sense for me that I was able to provide that environment for everyone to have a really fun time, like with photography and in, our, in an artistic way, you know, um, just seeing my friends who weren't always comfortable standing in front of a camera, but they were loving it. They were like outside of their comfort zone and they felt empowered. They felt confident, you know, to stand inside that box. So that's what meant a lot to me. Um, that I was able to provide that experience for them. And it's I just kind of, yeah. It, no, no, it's a really amazing project. And it was, it's funny that you, that you went there because that was going to be the start of my follow-up question was, um, it was interesting to watch the genesis of it. Cause like I kind of, from from a distance saw like you know people talking about like going to the shoot and like um then all of a sudden you know i when the shoot happened then you know everyone sort of trickled out their instagram photos like behind the scenes photos and the captions that people were writing about their experiences were really like heartwarming and stuff and i can only imagine that that must have felt really great um that all these people you know having this great time and all that sort of stuff like you said um have you what's the reaction been outside of that group because i can only imagine that like um that while the people involved absolutely must have, you know, took out, took, took away a really great experience, but like what, what's the reaction been to the final product? Like I, I would imagine something, I feel like something similar is what would have come from it, but I, I'd be interested to hear. What, what, what do you mean? Like, 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 so you put that out there, like, have you gotten any response back that wasn't from someone involved, you know, like from someone who saw that and it triggered something inside them or they, you know, I, I, I'm interested, I'm curious of what the, the reception, like the sort of public reception of 2 was. I understand. Um, I, I received some amazing feedback. It was really nice. Um, yeah, no, people were just saying like, hey, this is an amazing idea. And I think it just got people, because obviously, you know, there's always been talks about like, you know, women in sports, you sure. know, but I think this is like a... Um, it's just like a, a creative way of approaching it, you know, presenting it in a different way other than a panel, you know, 
I'm not hating on panels here, but it it just happens very often, you know, and it's like, just how do you think outside the box? Right. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> you know, so visually, you know, and I think this is how I really want to use social media and use art as a way. Like I said, there's always a message behind anything that I put out there because I think we have such a powerful voice, you know, with Instagram, it's like a quick scroll, but yo, if I can catch your eye and if you look at my work and you can feel something, I know that I did my job, you know? Um, also like when it comes to my work, it's like, I also do, I do it for myself specifically. And if I put it out there and it relates to you, amazing. You know, like I, I don't, it makes me happy. It's just like the way I honestly emote my emotion and put it out there. And when it comes to this doll, really, it's like, um, this year, especially 2019, I really come to the terms of like this relationship we're mending with my dad, actually. Um, did you say mending or ending? Mending, mending. Yeah. We're really mending with my dad. And uh yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure it means that he doesn't he, like I said, not a man of many words. And I think that's very common with um Vietnamese parents actually. Yeah. A little background, but with Vietnamese parents, a lot of our parents um had to escape Vietnam by boat. And you're on a boat for seven days going to a refugee camp where you stay there for about one month to even five months until someone sponsors you to come to North America. Um, so when I talked to my dad about that experience, you know, he told me like, it's very common where they have a hard time talking about their emotions or even speaking in general, because there's just so much trauma there. And it's like, during that time, you had no time to cry. There's no time for emotions when your life's on a line, you know, like you're on a boat seven days, no food, no water. Um, so it's just like, suck it up. You know, you got to live through this. So when it comes to d the demeanor of a lot of my friends who are Vietnamese and I talk to them about, you know, their parents and they're like, yeah, same way. It's very common. Um, so I think that's why, like, you know, when it comes to my work, I always also try to tie in my culture identity because it does say a lot about my character, you know, like why I do what I do when it comes to sports and what it means to me as, you know, first generation Canadian, hoping other people can relate to it as well. But, and I think also it's what makes what you do a little bit more interesting because there's more depth to it. You know, like some people, you know, their art can be superficial or their, their like meaning is more like it's, they have a meaning for it and like it means something to them or whatever. But like what you're doing is really multi-layered and uh, it's why I find it really interesting. And it's interesting that you bring up your dad in terms of that mending relationship because the other project that I really want to ask you about is the one that you did with your dad and, and some of his clothes. Um, and as someone like my dad died when I was 18. And so um, I have a really sort of weird relationship with father stuff, not like uh for a lot of different reasons, but like, I always find it really, I'm always, I guess, drawn to people with relationships with their dad, regardless of what kind of relationships they are. But I find that stuff really interesting. So was the project, did the project come from the fact that you were already mending that relationship with him? Um, or did it come from it? it yeah. Where, where does the project uh, relate to your mending that fence? I guess. Mm -hmm. With the clothes. Yeah that one um that project was eh. so I guess in general like my relationship with Vancouver in general it's like I left because a sometimes Vancouver like, growing up as a kid when I was like you know 13 onwards to high school it didn't feel like home to me 
it, it really didn't sometimes. Um, I love my siblings and everything, but you know, my mom wasn't always that supportive and like just not having my dad there. Um, so every time I'd come home, so I usually go home for Christmas, uh, every single year. And every time I come home, like I just kind of see like a box of like my parents' clothes and I look at it and I'm like, Oh wow. Um, I remember when they used to wear this stuff, you know, like when they were together and the thing is like up until the day that like my parents left, they were extremely loving from the day I was born to 12 years old had an amazing life. You know, like they really care. There's always food on the table. They always did everything to meet ends. Um, and I, that's when I kind of realized to myself, it's like, yeah, even though things were kind of bad 13 years old and onwards, I'm still thankful for those 12 years that they gave me. So that's when my position in my head changed. And like, I was like, Hey, I'm going to reach out to my dad and I want to fly up to Vietnam and I want to talk to him. And I want to ask my questions I've always had, you know, like, you know, he doesn't really come to North America. He doesn't come to Canada a lot, but like, no, I'm going to make my way to Vietnam. I'm old enough now. I've got the money to take time off work to do that. Um, also for a self thing as well. And to hear him out, like, you know, just ask my questions. Why? Um, and you know, when I came to those clothes every single Christmas, like I said, since 2015, I'd go home and I just kind of take them back with me to Toronto. No idea why. Sometimes I wouldn't even wear it. I just have it in my room. I'd just be staring at it. And then like every time I put it on though, I don't know, just a sense of warmth. It's like, I look exactly like my mom too, which is kind of freaky. Especially when I cut my hair like this. Um, but this one time I wore one of her crew necks. It was like a Tommy Hilfiger one. I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, it's freaking me out. I look like my mom. I got to take this off. <laughs> like, it's, it's just freaking me out, you know? Um, but yeah, like I don't have the best relationship with my mom either, but like, it's just, you know, obviously there's always still going to be a love for there, you know, there's going to be a love. Um, but then the idea came to me was like, there's obviously this feeling that you can't, um, not respond to every time. Like I put on these clothes, you know, and when I cook, it's like, I make the same shit my mom would cook, you know? So obviously these two have a very important part of my life that you just can't ignore really. Um, and so I told myself, like, I would love to do like an editorial with, um, all my parents' clothes. So I just like paired it up with things in my closet, sneakers. Um, and then I called my mom and that's when I kind of conducted an interview with her. You know, I didn't want to make it sound interviewish because then she'd be like, what are you asking me? But more so conversational. Um, I told her it was a school project. <laughs> Mind you, I shot this in January and I've been, I dropped out of school like two years, but you know, she just, that's how like her head's everywhere. Like she doesn't even know what's happening with me. Right. I'm like, yeah, mom's a school project. <laughs> So yeah, I asked her questions and then as our conversation went on though, like obviously like anything, you get more comfortable as you're speaking and I asked her questions that really made her think. She would pause and I could feel like she was kind of almost like getting a little choked up, you know, like talking about my dad because, you know, who asked her, who, no one really asked her questions about my dad. It's just like one of those things, you know? And then same thing with my dad, like when I FaceTimed him to ask him about like, hey dad, like what was this shirt? What was this? And he would just always have such an amazing story behind it. And um, I don't know. I just, I thought it was such like a nice way to um, present like how, when it comes to editorial shooting, how there can be meaning behind clothing um, and how it made me feel every time I put these clothes on. And then I ended up printing out the book, um, binding it, and then I mailed it to both my parents so they could see what they said about each other. <laughs> wow, what was the reaction to that? 
you know what? I don't even know if it got to Vietnam. Like it's what it, I have not heard from my dad in a while, unfortunately. So I don't know if I got to him. Um, but my mom, um, she, yeah, she really loved it. She really did. She was like, this is really nice. I'm like, yep. School project. Uh, <laughs> school project. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really, it's really interesting how you would dry. I think how you, uh, as someone who tends to, um, let's say avoid my feelings about things like that. And like, you know, you just kind of head down, keep going kind of thing. Like, I, I think it's really admirable about the way that you, um, you know, sort of deal with your own stuff through these kind of projects. It's really, uh, it makes them really weighty. I, it makes me, it makes me much more interested. And I mean, just they look great also um but do you find so i want to ask you uh, on the same sort of tip but i'll 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 skew the question a little bit differently um as we're coming to the end of this what are what's one of the things oh i guess the fire started again um what's one of the what's one of the best reactions you've gotten to something that like to your work like what are what's one of the reactions or or you know, uh, responses to something that you've done that you have carried with you, like that really sort of sat and took root and like, you're like, wow, this is why I'm doing this. I think the response that I got from people from the, so that whole project was called sentimental, like Mm -hmm. clothing one, um, was when I had my friends who are also first generation and they reached out to me and they said, Hey, after reading this, it, makes me understand why my parents are the way they are. You know, when I told, when, cause then on one of the pages, um, it was my dad's first interview shirt. And my dad was telling me a story of how, um, for a lot of immigrants, when they first came to Canada during that time, specifically, you sat in like a big room and then an officer yells out jobs like fisherman or salesperson or restaurant and, or cook. And then you put up your hand and then he's like, okay, great. And you get placed at that job. So it's a job placement. That really stuck with me because, you know, I think that, you know, my parents didn't immigrate here for me to um, be specific with one job. Like we have several opportunities. I could literally, for example, like, let's say one day, so right now I'm working as like a freelancer, but let's say I want to quit all of this and I instead just want to pick up graphic design and I could do that. Or I want to quit all this and I want to end up working in a restaurant. I could. So I have this absolute pleasure of doing that. Um, And I think that's what my friends also got out of this sentimental project as well is like our parents have been through so much for us that we have this absolute pleasure of um being able to pick and choose what we get to do every day every day is a choice you know um and this is where like the idea of fear to me has become um completely senseless because my dad on a boat seven days no food no water that is, that is fear. You know, you're walking through, you had to walk for 12 hours to get to that boat in the first place. And there's bombs planted around you and everywhere you step, a bomb blows up. Like that is fear, absolute fear. For me, it's like, wow, like I have no right to ever complain about an eight hour shift. You know, I have no right. It's an absolute privilege that I get to work, you know? Um, yeah. So that was just the response. And, you know, whenever I do these projects, it's like a sudden realization for me as well. As I'm shooting it, as I'm looking at all my assets, I'm editing it. I learned so much more about myself really as a person and why I do just what I do in general. And, um, let's say I'm angry about something. Like even as a kid, when I was 13, it's like, yo, mom and dad left. Like, where can I put this energy towards to? Um, and that's when I started playing basketball 
not started playing basketball, but, you know, was on the basketball team, started taking the dance class, was on a dance team. I've always put these emotions or whatever was going on in my life towards art. And um, that's what at 21 or at 22, that's what I realized. I was like, I've always been very good at doing that. And I think that's one of my strongest assets. And I'll keep doing that, you know, like when I'm hurt, put it towards something. Don't, don't comment, comment, um, it. no, just don't keep it in and make it angry, you know, like just, I don't know, shoot something, like <laughs> make something out of it. Um, I'm looking towards something. I think that's my message to people too. It's like, even if you're not even artistic in the slightest sense, that's okay, you know, but maybe your way is reading a book. Um, and I always say, you know, self-discipline is the strongest form of self-love. You know, the discipline. That's, I like that. Um, all right, I have one more question, but before I get to that, so technically I have two more questions because I just thought of something I wanted to ask you at the beginning and I didn't, but I'm almost more interested in it now after we've been talking for this time because of all of the things that you've talked about that, I mean, I know a lot of the things that you've worked on or, that, or have seen, but just hearing a lot of the emotion behind it and the, the passion behind it. So. Um, like I said, this I wanted to ask at the beginning, but I, I, I didn't get to it. So I'm asking now. When you think of, like, if you were to have a business card in terms of uh, what you do, like, what do you think of yourself as in terms of um, job title, right? Because you, you, you clearly wear a ton of different hats. Um, and I, I struggle with this myself sometimes. I had to write a bio for a friend uh, for uh, a show we do together. And I was like, what? I what I'm like, all right, I guess I'm a writer, you know, like I was just like, sure. Toronto based writer. We'll call it that. When you think of yourself in that blurb, like, you know, bio sort of thing. Um, what do you think of yourself? Like, what do you, what, what job title do you give yourself? It's funny. Cause during this quarantine, I was like, Hey, I'm going to sit down and finish my website. And like, as I'm writing my bio, I'm like, I don't know what to call myself. <laughs> um, what I've kind of concluded to is, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, I want to say, like, I want to say creative director, but every time like, I see that word, um, I just think of someone who, I guess maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just like my own self, like lack of confidence. But when I think of creative director, I think of someone who's like done really notable work, you know, so I could, am I able to say that I am a creative director? I don't know. Um, Maybe for now, I'll say um, digital storyteller. I think I'll stick oh, I, really that. Like, I really like that. That's digital really, yeah. That'll work. Because it was funny, I was going to, my, what I was going to say was like, if I had to, it, not that, you know, if my opinion on it were to, were to matter, which it doesn't, but if I were to like throw a word out, I would say you're, you seem like you embody the term of like a creative. And, and I recognize the irony of that title just based on where we work. And I, I, do not mean it um, in the context of, of that in any way, shape, or form. But I do mean it in the way of like, I feel like creative director implies a job title. Do you know what I mean? Which is clearly what I asked. But I mean, what I mean by that is, it, is, it, is it's tied to a position. You know, like you're a creative director because you work for a company that hired you as a creative director, right? You, I feel like, could 100% do that job, clearly. But like, in terms of like... Uh, a catch-all term for like how I like when I when I put this up, you know, like I would I I really like digital storyteller much better than what what than creative, but I think in my head it was like 
you don't fit a box. Like even before we were talking about this, like you don't, you're, you seem to, you're creative in all, it goes in all directions. Right. So I was like, I like the idea of you embodying that term. So I don't know if that, that goes anywhere or, or means anything, but like as much as I like digital storyteller, I think like you are a creative in that sense. Right. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, on my Instagram, when you go to my page, it says library. Cause you know, my posts are like a story. <laughs> See, that's just out of little things. I don't know. I just, I'm really trying to figure out identity, branding, everything still. Like I just, yeah, I always tell myself, I don't really know what I, what I'm doing. <laughs> and this whole quarantine has actually been really amazing for me to sit down and be like, okay, you know, what do you, what do you want to do, Trey? What do you want to, but I'm still figuring out like the rest of the world, I guess. No, it's, it is a it is a weird period. I feel like it's it's both a it's it's both this really great opportunity and like just you know obviously horrible experience. People are dying and all that sort of stuff. But like, there's this privilege of being able to yeah explore like find yourself to some degree. Like like I was saying to you before we started, like global pandemic was all it took for me to get this podcast on a weekly. You know, like we're there. We're I'm like a couple episodes ahead now. Like this should this should come out in a couple Mondays. Like it's that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's such an interesting period of time. Um, but that being said, it is an in-between time, I feel like. It's very much like, uh, I hope, let's let's be hopeful, right? Like it is, yeah. it's, we're in the in-between between then and, 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 and future or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. I guess my last question, we'll, leave, we'll, we'll wrap it up with, with it's a kind of a two-parter, but you can answer however you like. Um, in terms of all the stuff that you've done up until this point, what's your favorite experience that you've had? And... Uh, the follow-up, the second part of it is, is there anything coming up in the future that you are um, able to or comfortable to say in terms of like that you're looking forward to? So like the one thing that you've already done and like the one thing that you might be looking forward to that maybe we don't know about yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so something upcoming in the future. Yeah. So during this whole quarantine, so like you said, it took a global pandemic for you to start your podcast weekly. <laughs> for me, it's like, wow, it's a global pandemic for me to really, um, really believe in Hustler's cookbook and finally get all these ideas out, you know, finally shoot it on the time to, um, such like a blessing in disguise and such an odd way to say. Right. Um, but I started working on that more and, um, it caught the eye of Foot Locker. Amazing. Yeah, so Foot Locker in the States and also Foot Locker Canada. So they're two separate things. So yep. I'll be doing two projects um, in the upcoming weeks with them. Um, one of them is specifically Hustler's Cookbook. And the other one is kind of underneath like Trey, like that yep. stuff. Um, the one with Hustler's Cookbook, that one just really means a lot to me. And I remember when I was getting the email saying that they wanted to work with me um, on a project, it just meant a lot because, you know, it's a kind of starting thing from ground up. And someone looks at it and they and they really believe in you. You know, it's like they reach out to Hustler's Cookbook, not Trey, which it's like this identity that I've been able to build. It's like my baby. And now someone wants to work with me specifically on the, the food aspect, you know. Um, just to clarify, just, just one really quick question. Did they reach out to, like, so did Foot Locker US reach out to Hustler's Cookbook and then Foot Locker Canada reach out to Trey? Um, Foot Locker US reached out to Trey. Yeah. And then Foot Locker Canada reached out to Hustler's Cookbook. Completely separate from each other. Two different projects, yeah. That is mm-hmm. insane. That is amazing. That is. Did they know? Like, was there? Uh, this is just behind the behind the scenes. My own curiosity. But did, were they aware of that? Like, did someone at Foot Locker Canada and someone at Foot Locker US go like, "Hey, we're both talking to the same person," or was it 
like it was it that organic um i guess they didn't know because that footlocker usa um it's made like footlocker women's technically so it's a different thing like they had me do a completely different um segment for them and then with footlocker canada so it's, it's underneath foot action sorry a lot of foots out there but yeah that's amazing. That's, that's, yeah. that's like a weird small world thing, I feel like. But that's congratulations. That's really great. Um, and then, okay, so then what's your favorite thing that you've done up until this point? Like, what's your, like, when people say, like, if I should, other than Hustler's Cookbook, I, because that's the, 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 the tent pole, we'll call it. But I just mean, I guess in terms of experiences, you know, like things that you've gotten to do. What was your favorite, what was your favorite experience so far? So I feel like people would expect me to Oh no. How hungry you surge, you know, there's like Kawhi and Katie and all them. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I love that stuff to be honest, but I think it's, um, working with tier zero, like we've been doing these live experiences during this quarantine and it's really like pushed all of our creativity. Um, cause this is the thing, how I view personal work. It's like, that's that what creates like the discipline behind everything, because this is work that you're not getting paid for. You know, this is out of your own time. And that speaks louder than anything else on your resume, I find. Um, so as much as I love the whole search stuff, and I'm really proud of that stuff, but really for me, it's like, you know, putting out that Barbie box, sentimental, all those projects. Um, I told myself at least once a month, I want to put out like a personal project like that, like an editorial, something similar. Um, but yeah, I want to say that. And all these live experiences that Tier Zero has been doing, um, we hosted like a 90s game show. We're doing like, yeah, we did an online arts and crafts session. We did a um, interview with Nate Butler, one of the NBA, really phenomenal NBA, um, NBA photographers, um, like during like the Jordan era. So that was really neat. And it's just, yeah, really pushing the team to think differently during this time. So I think that's what I'm really proud of most. That's awesome. Yeah. This has been amazing. I'm really, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. You are, we're going to bring you back at some point because you're, never going to stop. And I want to hear about all the awesome things that you're going to do. Um, and I won't be able to do it in the break room all the time because that would be wild. There's no way. And so I'm going to have to get my, my fix elsewhere, but, um, Trey, let's end it on the plugs. Where are all the, where can people find you? Give me all the, give me the list. Um, and dot Trey. <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram, really. And then honestly, I'm going to get this website going, guys. Promise. Um, TreyNewin.com and then HustlersCookbook.com. Hustlers Cookbook. Guys, if you, if you have even the remote, smallest interest in cooking things, check out Hustlers Cookbook. It is amazing. The pearls, are they real? No, they're fake. <laughs> they're from the dollar store. Oh. Yeah, we're working on a budget, Josh. We're working on a budget. I thought maybe there was a story there. I just wanted to make sure, you know, and there was. The dollar store is always a story. Um, it's really it's really great. I'm like a huge, uh, as you can tell, I'm a huge fan. Um, keep doing all the cool things that you're doing. And uh, I look forward to seeing all the rest in the future. Thank you so much for doing this, Trey. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I hope y'all out there enjoyed this as much as I did. Um, and uh, someday I'll put the video up so you can see what the Barbie box looks like. Um, thank you very much for listening. Trey, thank you so much. Uh, as always, this is Running Up the Downstairs. And my name's Josh Michael. Thank you, Josh. Bye.